Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. Thank you for those of you who checked and saw that you had checked in and everything. So I think I need to uh, give a disclaimer. It's not that your pastor is getting so old he can't climb steps anymore. Uh, actually, it's a blessing, really. It happened without my knowledge. I mean, Mikey, uh, give Mikey and his crew, uh, they did this in like two days. Can we just say, show our appreciation? I mean, that's truly, you know, I talk about, uh, and we're going to talk about today, being a servant, but that was just all of his own. I mean, we had talked about it. Funny thing, I even had some pastors from the community say, hey man, I really like that new stage. And it was before Mikey told him, like, what? <laughs> oh, it's on Facebook. I, he helped, one of Mikey's buddies helped, but I, I deeply appreciate it. And one reason is, actually two reasons. When we do the full band, if I, I, it's a little crowded for me, it's a little crowded for them to wait. Y'all probably don't notice things like that. You may. We, Mikey and I are highly, we notice everything. That's how God wires us. But also being so tall, I like being down lower to the people. This is a tall stage. We inherited this stage. Uh, and when you're 6'4 on a four-foot stage, you're 10'4, right? And I, I, I don't, I've never liked being up above. I mean, Jesus preached from the crowd, but it's, it's uh, I actually had fun with Mikey. Uh, I came, and Michael and him were on. I said, what are y'all doing on my stage? I, we built this for me, and uh, you know, I wanted to get all about me for a minute. You know, just teasing him, but I do deeply appreciate it. So today we're talking about Jesus is our high priest. What does that mean? You heard it in some of the songs, and we're going to unpack that. We're blessed to have Jesus as our high priest, but why? What's the whys, and what does that really mean to us? And so you're going to get a brief uh, kind of Sunday school summary Old Testament story because I, I can't go really into the passages without setting it up because I, I'm, I'm sure most of you know uh, the background of the high priest, but there's people listening online that may not know. It, it's kind of a simple story. It's a beautiful story. It's a symbolic story. And I'll try to summarize it as best I can. So you remember Moses and the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes down, and he gives the commandments, and then the people start a way of worshiping, and then God commands for them to build the tabernacle. God was on the mountain, and he comes down among the people, if you will, and there's the Ark of the Covenant. They build the tabernacle. And through that time period, through the Old Testament, through Moses and all of the Old Testament, the system, shall we say, of worship was a system of high priest. If you remember, Aaron, who was with Moses through all of Moses' adventures, is a Levite. And the Levites had to be the high priest. So it has to be from the family of Aaron. And that continued all the way up to Jesus' day when Jesus hit the scene in the Gospels. The tabernacle had morphed into a temple, Solomon's temple, that God called Solomon to build. But here was the system. You had a series of priests, but you had one high priest, and it rotated, okay, for different high priests. If you remember, if you know your Bible history, how the temple was built in different sections, but one of the sections was separated by a great cloth veil curtain, if you will, very thick, the same curtain that ripped in two when Jesus died, if you remember that story, that's wholly symbolic of canceling one system and installing a new, but the high priest's job was every year to go in and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. 
that started in the Old Testament times, continued to Jesus' time, and it was so much reverence that the high priest had to first be all absolved of his sins. He couldn't bring sin in because he was carrying the sins of the people. Some scholars even say that they tied a rope on to the priest's leg because he had to pass through the curtain to a place, you've heard it, called the holiest of holies, where he presents the sacrifice to God. And if he did anything wrong, he died. That's why they tied the rope so nobody else wanted to get in there and get struck down. They'd be pulling him out. Okay, well, this happened year after year after year. There's another great sidebar to this story in the, well, still in the religious system the whole time it was going on. There was a sacrifice. It was an animal sacrifice. And if you've ever heard the word scapegoat, how many of you heard the word scapegoat? That's where this biblical word comes from. Because there were two goats. One was sacrificed and one was let go. And the goat sacrificed was for the sins of the people. And the other goat was let go free. Enter the Lamb of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he instituted our present day system, his system, that a priest, you don't have to come to me at end of year, let's say, and say, Pastor Mark, you know, I did this, this, and this. Would you pray for me? And would you offer some kind of sacrifice? No, we have direct access, praise God, to God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. Now, you can come and confess, and people do, to various pastors and priests. That's still okay, but they don't bear the burden of being the one who, quote, rolls back the sins of the people because one sinless, precious, spotless, innocent lamb paid the price forever. Somebody say amen. Amen. So, I think we're called up. Know that, get that whole picture in your mind as we walk through these scriptures on why and how important it is for Jesus Christ, God's Son, to be our high priest. Now, our first passage is found in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. If you haven't ever read Isaiah 52 and 53, read it. 53 that we're looking at is one of the most detailed pictures of Jesus. How many of y'all have seen those shows where they reconstruct what Jesus looks like? And you know, there's the eternal, did he have long hair? Did he look Mediterranean? Did he look Palestinian? You know, America's made him a white Jesus with blue eyes and brown hair. Throw, Throw that picture out. Jesus was a Jewish man in his time, okay? Let me just be real bold. Jesus was a person of color, okay? That, that's the Jesus there. But we get a unique description of him here in the book of Isaiah. Read along with me. He grew up before, uh, let me say this too. Here's what's so cool about this. If you love Bible study and nuggets and digging in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah writes this about the suffering servant, as Mikey said. He writes this about the Messiah to come some 700 years before Jesus hits the scene. So he had insight from God. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This one has always amazed me. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I'm going to unpack this as we go. Do you remember why the Israelites picked Saul? He was tall. He looked good. He looked like a king. How do we want people, how do we want, does America put a lot of emphasis on appearance? Ladies, 
You checked out the magazine rack lately? Men too? And we see in the Gospels that everybody wants to be with this Jesus. But read Isaiah. He had no beauty. He had no majesty to attract. Jesus didn't stand out. He blended into the... Nobody noticed him, church. Isn't that strange? Nothing in his appearance made us want to hang out with him. You've seen people that you say, hey... Facebook really paints a picture of how we think we look sometimes, doesn't it? Showing how, what lives we want to have. But the scripture says there was nothing that drew people to Jesus with his looks, with his presence. You might ask, that could be a whole other sermon. What actually drew people to Jesus is what he was teaching. It was his love, his service. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. If you've ever suffered out there, online community, if you're going through something right now, you're going to see this come full circle. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. Jesus knows your pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. You know this verse. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, you and I peace, the world peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Somebody say amen. Amen. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sins, the transgressions of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Read the gospel accounts. He did exactly that. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, Though he had done no violence, nor were there any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolonging his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of day, resurrection prophecy, prediction. And be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant would justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. No more rolling of sins. He's taken them all on him. He's our great high priest. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, two thieves on either side. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Anybody wants to know what Jesus looks like and is, there it is. Best description of Jesus in the Bible. 
What does that mean to us? The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. Every high priest, he gives a little history, is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people and matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and those going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins. The priests of those days had to purify themselves before they could go into the holiest of holies, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when it is called by God, just as Aaron was. Watch verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today, I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. When's the last time you prayed so hard you cried? And he was heard, look at why he's heard, because he got loud, because he came from a great Christian family. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. God calls him, God makes him the son, God puts him in the role of priest knowing that he's the only one that can take on the entire sins of the world forever. No more rolling back, trusting and having complete faith in Jesus. I've said it from the pulpit many times. It's not the denomination that's going to save me. It's not my good works that's going to save me. I'm going to be in the line that says, give me Jesus. I'm going to claim the blood of Jesus. I'm going to claim the work of Christ on the cross in the day of judgment that I believe he is who he says he is, the true and living son of God, and make that confession. Let's look at something Jesus said. Mark 10, 45. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. <laughs> kind of something like we're seeing today, huh? Not so with you, Jesus talking to the disciples. Instead, and you've heard this before, remember my greater than, less than? This is a different place. You know how I say, if God says it more than once, we better perk our ears up and listen to it. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave or servant of them all. Watch verse 45. Jesus tells why he came. Jesus tells his mission. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And one other reason, and to give his life as ransom for many. When you give your life as ransom, that means you buy back something for somebody else. Amen? We had sin. We had transgressions. We had, as we sing, a debt we could not pay. And Jesus, as the high priest appointed, called by God, steps in and says, I'll take this hit for mankind. 
I'll become that sacrificial offer, lamb. I'll be the scapegoat so that, Father, they can have everlasting life with us. I don't know about you, but that in and of itself ought to drive us to our knees in gratitude. That all I have to do is place my faith in the person of Jesus Christ and know that I will die, but I won't stay dead. I will be resurrected, and I will live with the King of kings, Lord and Lords forever. That's the message the world's got to hear today, church. That's the message the world is needing today. So let's look at some life applications. Here's some things for us to think about. Number one, Jesus suffered for us to bring glory to God to us. Jesus took our place. Jesus cried out with prayers and petitions to the point of groaning with his spirit and the Holy Spirit. That whatever we do, whenever we mess up, if you like Mikey so beautifully said that, that we have weeks where we just our failures are so in front of us and we have such a powerful enemy that just gigs us and knifes us and says, you're not worth that. God's not going to let that slide with you. And we have to remember, no, he is. You know, another favorite word of mine that is in Scripture is that Jesus is our advocate. Think of a courtroom scene. Think about you be charged with the most heinous crime, whatever comes to your mind. And in the middle of it, someone steps forward and says, you know, let's say you get the death sentence. And at the last minute, someone steps forward and says, I'd like to take that electric chair for Mark. What? I'd like to do something so that he could go free forever. That's how Jesus suffered for us. That's how Jesus endured for us. And notice that suffering brings forth two things. In the above scripture, it brings forth obedience to God, submission to God, but it brings God's glory to us. I don't know about you. Uh, I think some people in here could admit this. Through my trials and afflictions and suffering, at the end of those have been periods of my greatest growth. It's like putting things in the fire to forge it and mold it. And, and some of us, some of us, are so hard-headed that we don't do it any other way unless we're put in the fire. Or God, like he did Paul, God has to take a two-before and knock you off a horse and say, hey, what are you doing? Why don't you take all that passion of rounding up Christians and go plant churches and write half of this book called the Bible for me? And Paul said, yes, Lord. Remember what I told you? If God asks you a question, there's only one answer. It's yes. It's not no. We saw what Mo Moses tried to backpedal. It didn't work out. He went to Egypt anyway. But Jesus suffers for us. And, and I got to say with that suffering, he's the suffering servant. He's called Know when you're suffering, because it's so easy for us, isn't it, church, in our human nature? I, I, just nod with your hearts. How many of you, when you're suffering, think you're the only one going through it? 
Can I tell you, Jesus knows. He's been there. Word says he's been tested and tried in every way known to mankind. If you've experienced loss, Jesus experienced loss. He lost his best friend, Lazarus. And like I've said, kind of funnily, but truly, uh, walking around the country with 12 guys, I imagine there were some frustrating times for Jesus. <laughs> you can find some of them in Scripture. I even imagine he got frustrated with the Pharisees because they were doing their best. Their religious system was all messed up, and Jesus was telling them to correct it. Remember the verse in the Gospels where Jesus, uh, we see Jesus at one point crying over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would like to be a mother hen and collect you. You ever seen somebody go down the wrong path and you can't do a thing about it? It breaks your heart. What do you think? Jesus was sent to his people, his chosen people, and they said, remember Isaiah? He was rejected by his own kind. Jesus suffered for us. Number two, Jesus' obedience to God shows us servitude before superiority. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to rise up, serve. Be last. Do what God gives you at the time in your hand to do. And at the right moment, God will put you higher by your gifting and talents. Humble yourself before the Lord. Scripture. Don't exalt yourself. Don't be thinking you're more than that because the ones that exalt themselves usually fall. But if you approach God like Jesus did with a submission, with obedience, then God is pleased and he will exalt you in your time. Jesus' obedience to God shows servitude before superiority. If you want to go deeper and higher and rise with God, look for the places that you can serve that you may be missing. Number three, same thing, basically different wording. The path to becoming great with others starts with serving others. Find those opportunities. Find, uh, find those small opportunities. I'm telling you, God sees every small opportunity that comes your way. Problem is, we don't always see it, amen? You know, some of us get caught up in the fact that I got to do something at this level to be noticed by God. I'm telling you, remember the, the widow with two mites? You know, less two two pennies in our days. And just a small act of her giving, Jesus said, I'll tell you what, she's outdone everybody here in the courtyard. What's some small areas in your life? Maybe it's taking your neighbor a hot meal because they've had to be in the hospital for a week. Maybe it's that widow woman down the street that never has any companionship or conversation that you just... Put a card in their mailbox or see them out and engage them and check on them. In my journey, church, I'm telling you, I really believe God is overactively looking for the little things in our life. And I believe this. I believe the little things in our life like that weigh out so much more different than the big things we kind of human nature want to do and be seen for. That's what Jesus was. He was always working behind the scene what God was showing him. The path to becoming great starts with serving others. And last but not least, I love this one. With Jesus as our high priest, hear this, our prayers, petitions, and problems are before God. It's like that uh, advocate has two meanings. The advocate can also be an attorney. 
Because see, we, 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 we fight somebody who has a title. We fight a worthy, strong enemy called Satan, but one of his other titles is called the accuser of the brethren. You know what that means? He's constantly telling God we're not worth it. And some of us get that in our heads. But Jesus is like the most high-powered attorney in the world that went in the courtroom of judgment and Satan is railing on you saying, well, do you know what he did in 1972? And do you know how he treated his wife at one stage? Jesus steps up and says, I I know, but he's covered by my blood. And that's a done deal. He's our advocate. He is our high priest. And I love those three Ps, prayers, petitions, and problems. Can I tell somebody, I really, when writing this lesson, I felt somebody needs to hear this truth. God hears your prayers. Some of y'all been praying for a long time and it hadn't happened yet. Can I tell you, God hears those prayers. Pray without ceasing, the scripture says. God hears your petitions, what you want to happen. And God knows your problems because the suffering servant has walked in mind in your shoes. He walked in this world. He saw its injustices. He saw the impression, he, uh, oppression. He saw the hate. And when we are overwhelmed with our problems, I want you to get this picture. It's like Jesus says, I know. I know what you're talking about. I remember that. I remember how cruel people can be sometimes. I remember how friends can say they're going to be there and that they would die for you. And then when the time gets rough, they even curse and walk away from me. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to not feel loved by your own kind. We have this high priest that when we're praying, when we're petitioning, when we're laying out our problems, Jesus is standing in the gap, church, and giving it all before Father God. That's why we need a high priest. Because this high priest has taken away the sins of the world once and for all to all of those, to all of us who have believed in him. The writer of Hebrews also wrote another great verse. In Hebrews 3.1, it says this, and I want to leave you with this. This is your challenge. Therefore, wrapping it up, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, if you're a born-again believer, look at this. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge is our apostle and great high priest. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't fix your thoughts on a certain church. Don't fix your thoughts on a certain pastor's teaching. Don't fix your thoughts on your bank account. Don't fix your thoughts on culture. 
Don't count on the government. If you're a born believer, child of God, follower of Christ, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge, our apostle and our great high priest. This morning, if you have doubts and fears, if you have prayers and petitions, know this, you have the ultimate high priest, advocate, savior, who stands in the gap, who has done the work, and who wants you to be in God's family forever. Don't listen to the enemy. Let Jesus reign as your high priest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the suffering servant. You made flesh in the body of Jesus, who walked this world, who got tired, who got hungry, who got sweaty, who laughed with friends in the house in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But as we read in Isaiah, he was a man of sorrows. He carried great pain. He was despised. He was rejected. And he did it all out of reverent submission and obedience to you, God. Can we take his example for our walk in this world? When the world rejects us and attacks us, when trials and troubles are many, can we find ourselves in that reverent submission to you, knowing that Jesus is pleading our case, knowing, Father God, that you're hearing our prayers, petitions, and problems, and you are at work through Christ, through your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, today, may we come to a new excitement, knowledge, and may we always embrace your Son, our Savior, Jesus, as the first and the last, and especially as our great high priest. We pray this in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.